Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the role of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. Our guest today is Adele Archer, founder of Eternova, which celebrates remarkable lives by making diamonds from ashes. Eternova was featured on Shark Tank, in which Mark Cuban joined other incredible angels and VCs as an investor. Adele's story and why she chose to found a company in the end-of-life space I think is just fascinating. To be honest, it's not a space that really came to mind before meeting Adele, so lots of learnings and takeaways from my end. So without further ado, here's Adele. So Adele, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well, thanks. Doing very well. Tell me a little bit about how you started your innovative venture. So Eternova, what we do is we celebrate remarkable people and pets when they pass away by making diamonds from ashes or hair. Um, now, I, as you can imagine, that's probably not something that uh, you would ever expect getting into. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 10-year-old Adele and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? But, you know, I think it just more than anything, um, you know, when you look back on your life, sometimes there there is a common thread that connects it all. And so, you know, for me, I had my MBA in entrepreneurship, you know, knew I was going to be starting my own company. And I worked in tech for a couple of years. Um, and originally, the company that I was working on was a lab-grown diamond company. Just thought that was really interesting technology. And as we were starting this company, though, I had a really close friend and my business mentor actually get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, and she passed away. So total, like, personal side of my life was trying to figure out how to honor Tracy and, you know, just... I think when you lose someone really remarkable, you know, you go on a quest. You're like, what, like, what can I do that is really deserving of her? So probably five months of research, did not find anything and was just blown away by just what felt like a total lack of options and lack of innovation. And, you know, it was just shocking to me how little has been done in this space, you know, for something that affects all of us. So it was really over dinner one night with a diamond scientist um, that he even mentioned that this could be done. There was one company that was doing it at the time. I went to go start the process completely as a customer. And, you know, just in my experience, you know, kind of connecting with them and, you know, it was just, it was very transactional. It was not, you know, the experience I kind of wanted with somebody that was going to be the guardian of my ashes and, or my loved one's ashes. So that was really the point that we kind of looked at this and go, gosh, you know, this is a space that really, really needs just a better experience for people. And this feels like an amazing option. Why don't we focus here? So Tracy was the first diamond we made and we refocused everything to be, you know, completely about celebrating someone's life. That's amazing and really inspirational how you took a really close friend's death and made it, you know, an experience for you that, that you know, you, you can remember and, and cherish for years to come in creating a, a diamond out of out of her ashes. I also didn't know that lab diamonds were, were a thing whatsoever. So talk to me a little bit about how you think about consumer attitudes and cultural traditions around death has changed a bit over time. And what what opportunity did you see in this market? A lot of great businesses are built when um, you are the customer to start out. You know, you're just so intimately aware with what the pain points are that you're solving. Um, but it was just really remarkable to me. I think there has been such a shift in how we think about death, um, you know, and, and 
wanting things that are more personal and more meaningful. You know, we're not as traditional anymore with, you know, just how kind of the, the, different traditions, you're seeing a huge shift from burial to cremation, for example. In 1980, we're like 10% cremation, and we're approaching 70% in the United States. Like that's how fast it is moving. And I think as more people are, you know, potentially more spiritual versus, you know, religious, they also are just kind of like, you know, allowing themselves to be more open-minded to what are my other options and what feels like personal and special and meaningful um, to honor my loved one versus what's just always been done. Um, and so I think as people are, are asking that, the industry hasn't adapted or responded or, you know, really created things that, you know, kind of meet that need. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to uh, give people better products and, and give people better experiences in the space. Uh, how are you thinking about different religions, folks that might be more in tuned or more interested in, in, in these types of products for honoring loved ones that have uh, passed away? We needed to really learn, you know, when we first launched, we weren't sure how much religion was really going to factor in or not. And we've been surprised that it really hasn't factored in as much as we expected. You know, I think there there are a few faiths that still tend to um, prefer burial to cremation and and a few faiths that, you know, if, if you're really kind of following the book, then you're burying, you know, but we saw uh, the Catholic Church actually, you know, say give cremation its blessing. And that was a huge cultural shift. You know, we see families of the Jewish faith tend to bury their loved ones, but they cremate their pets. And so they come to us to do a diamond for their pet, for example. So I think we're just at this total, you know, kind of uh, crossing point where there's just a lot of change that's happening. And and I think it's going to look radically different even in the next five years is, you know, people uh, more willing and, and open to do cremations when maybe their entire family in the past buried. For what of the kind of like the main areas that you're kind of focused on that you think that in, in terms of differentiation and changing the actual death care space? Well, and, and by the way, one thing that I, re- I really should know as well is that um, we can do this from the from the carbon in someone's hair as well. So somebody that is being buried, they can still do this process. You don't necessarily need to have ashes to do it. When you look across the entire death care space um, and you pull really anybody that's kind of gone through it, um, a lot of the time it's a certain kind of tone and it, and it's a, it's the experience that you have with, you know, different service providers or, you know, different, uh, just kind of at, at every touch point across that experience that it can be dark and, um, overwhelming and, you know, in some cases depressing. And I think Eterniva is really a, a massive departure from all of that. We're very bright, we're positive, we're celebratory, you know, we're never tone deaf. Um, but I think, there is always some levity to be had. We talk about, you know, we're unafraid to talk about somebody that passed away, but really focus on how to celebrate their life. And oftentimes when our customer, you know, first talks to us about this process, we're not telling them about diamonds to start. We're saying like, hey, like, tell us about your loved one and what made them extraordinary. And that's like the first time they've been asked that question, which is crazy. Um, and so I think that there's just something really special that we're doing from everything from kind of the, the customer experience and service side all the way through to the brand side. Um, you know, we have this kind of vibrant conversation that's happening on our social media. We're getting higher engagement rates than Kim Kardashian and Taylor Swift on a topic that's supposed to be really hard to talk about. So I think it, it really is kind of opening up that conversation and changing 
changing a culture around death, grief, and remembrance, you know, from a brand side. And, and this is a community you want to be a part of. And then on the experience side, it's really giving people, you know, kind of a, a very special experience around the diamond that, you know, will parallel process with their grief a bit. You you alluded it to a little bit, but, you know, even though what you're doing is extremely positive, it's still obviously a very sensitive topic. And wanted to know, you know, how are you thinking about, especially at the early stages, how are you thinking about marketing? You know, this is certainly a, a huge part, I think, of, of what has made us successful as we figured this out. Um, you know, early on, one of our first investments we ever made was actually in our brand identity. This is back when we were like bootstrapping and every dollar like really, really counted where we put that money. And I remember that was like, the first major investment we ever made was developing a brand book. But I think that's really important to be very, to know what your identity is as a company and what, you know, you're really here to do. And for us, you know, starting out, um, we talked about uh, remembering remarkable people um, because that behind every diamond is an extraordinary person that, you know, you're coming to us because they earned that diamond in some amazing way. Um, so everything that we did, you know, from a PR standpoint, from a social media, you know, advertising standpoint was really telling the hero story of these remarkable people. It's not talking about ourselves. It's not talking about ashes to diamonds. You know, that's interesting. But I think, you know, what's more powerful is, is kind of humanizing these people. Um, and that's something that people can really lean into and they can find their loved one's story, you know, in someone else's story. And we just found that those stories started catching fire, you know, and that became kind of our flywheel on social media is, you know, you'd put a, a video out there and then it would just go and get shared like crazy, you know, across these tribes of people that, you know, say, oh my gosh, my dad was just like that. You know, I, or, so-and-so's dad was just like that. She should do this, you know, for her dad who just passed. Um, so I think authenticity is very key and, um, you know, kind of anchoring yourself around what is the, you know, bigger purpose that you're doing as a brand, because that resonates with people and they'll talk about it. That makes sense. And it seems like that was probably part of the missing factor that you were seeing when you first tried to do this. Talk to me a little bit about what's been the most like surprising and unexpected insight or learning that you've that you've had in, in building Eternova so far? I mean, I definitely, like we learned so much from our customers. We very much are a company and a brand that's built on um, being incredibly close to our customer and just always looking for ways we can add value and innovate based off of what we know. And, um, you know, one of the things that really blew us away early on, like this is a very intricate process. On average, our diamonds take about seven months to create. It's completely you know, a custom made diamond from your loved one's carbon. And so we weren't sure, you know, whether that was going to be felt perceived as long or not. And what we ended up finding was that, you know, kind of starting out, we were sending pictures and videos and updates and just trying to like be as transparent as we possibly could. And people were just absolutely blown away with every single update we sent, you know, they'd be like, oh my God, like I'm at work and I was crying and I showed everyone around me and I emailed it to my whole friends and family. And we're just like, man, they are getting so much value out of these updates. You know, what more could we do? So we started really kind of upping the ante around, um, you know, just the experience that we were giving people and, you know, videoing um, everything and kind of productizing those videos and designing them to be shared socially. Um, and I think that that was just a really important insight, you know, early on is like, no, the, the lead time did not matter to people at all. If anything, they wanted an experience. And what we learned was like, as we kind of built up more and more of this experience that we were giving, 
that was parallel processing with someone's grief. And they had something positive to look forward to over a period of time that otherwise they would have nothing to look forward to losing the most important person in their world. And that was something that rallied their community in a way that like it kept people talking about that person, you know, which wasn't happening when, you know, you just have a one and done funeral and everyone goes home and stops talking about the person. So I think uh, the experience is what we didn't expect to be as valuable and as important, um, you know, to our process as the diamond itself. I think when we were talking previously, we, we spoke about the experience innovation and how that is part of your core strategy. And remember you saying about how it's it's almost everywhere in the journey, customer being part of that journey as you build the diamond and, 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 and make them remember uh, that loved one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's just where we, we put our time and our energy is just how can we kind of up the ante around the experience that we're giving people and, you know, the connection that they get to have with our team and seeing like how much we really care as a whole team. Um, you know, we literally learn the stories of every single one of our loved ones. We tell their story on social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook Live, like we broadcast their stories. Um, you know, every single person in our entire process, you know, all the way out to our scientists, you know, in Switzerland, um, know the stories of these people and are part of, you know, telling that story, you know, throughout the entire experience. So it's every single person in the entire um, company that knows your loved one and is a part of celebrating them and telling their story. That's fantastic. Uh, so in those kind of early beginnings, you, you you bootstrapped your way to a million bucks. Talk to me about, about like the launch strategy and how you th- were thinking or finding product market fit. It, it was a very interesting um, way to start a company because, you know, obviously I was insanely motivated to uh, figure this out because I wanted a diamond for Tracy, darn it. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that was really great is, is designing the process that and designing the experience that you would want to have. Um, so had to go through a process of completely scientifically validating the process tested her ashes for um, carbon content, you know, then went and found the absolute best scientists we could be partnered with across every step of our process. And, you know, that kind of took us all over the world really to, to partner with the absolute best. Um, so, you know, setting this up was, was very intricate and very challenging, you know, but uh, a, a something that I was relentless and, you know, and we were relentless in making happen. But then, you know, once we kind of had proved it all out, um, then it was a matter of putting together a website and seeing, okay, well, is my need actually reflected in the broader world? And it was just amazing. I mean, it was just an immediate product market fit. You know, our first customers, you know, were buying our largest diamonds, you know, for, I remember our first customer, he uh, did it for his daughter um, who he had lost, you know, at night years old and it was him and his wife. And that was just like the most meaningful first sale you could have. And so what was really amazing about, or what is amazing about our model is that, you know, we have an inverted cash model. So, you know, we receive payment upfront and then we don't have to um, incur most of our costs, our COGS, you know, until later in the process. So it allowed us to actually, you know, be able to self-fund in the beginning. Um, And I just think that that's such a wonderful experience for any entrepreneur, you know, because you really have to think about where every dollar is going and make every single dollar count and make every single dollar make you more dollars. (laughs) So... That's something I didn't really re- didn't realize in terms of cash flow. That's actually a, a really good like position to be in, uh, in that you receive the cash up front and then you have 
you don't have your cost of goods, you know, already there. You actually have to then make the product uh, and spend the next 10 months doing it. And uh, yeah, that's also an inspirational story about the parents getting the ring. Wanted to talk a little bit too about target de- demographic. Were you first primarily thinking, since of course it's a diamond, diamonds are expensive. Are you thinking, or were you thinking about targeting like older folks at the very, very beginning? Or kind of how do you, how do you think about your actual uh, customer base in terms of age? I think, you know, if there's anything that I learned from uh, my MBA in entrepreneurship, they made us go out and sell dictionaries door to door. And they're like, you know, just throw out all your assumptions about who your customer really is because you're about to find out. And I think that's just so on point, you know, because, and we've certainly seen that with a turnover. You would think that this is something, you know, for the wealthier, that this is a luxury, you know, um, product, but it's really not, you know, our customers, we do have quite a few different kind of tribes, you know, as, as we call them segments, you know, across our loved one side and our pet side, you know, certainly do see, I would say the most common loved one that we're honoring is a spouse, it's a significant other. And, you know, but certainly work with a lot of parents who have lost kids. We've worked with a lot of, um, you know, I would say majority are, are people we've lost too soon. Grandparents are are probably one of the ones we do the least diamonds of. Um, you know, we on the pet side of the business, you know, are are doing a lot for uh, actually millennials um, because a lot of millennials, their first child is their pet. You know, before they go on to have a baby, and you know, we're working for longer, and you know, so a lot of the time that was your first baby. So it's 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 a little bit, you know, more diverse than we were even expecting in the beginning. Wow. That's really interesting how you also see younger folks with their pets. Absolutely. And we also see like a lot of millennials and Gen Z influencing their parents. Um, You know, a lot of the time they're the ones to even discover that this is an option or this is an idea. They'll have, you know, seen a viral video on Instagram um, and they're like, mom, like you should really do this for dad. And what we see is that younger people actually have a different perspective on death. You know, they tend to just be more open-minded about it and, you know, wanting to talk about it and wanting to find a way to celebrate, you know, their important people. And, you know, so in a lot of ways, like, younger people get this right away. They're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I need to go tell everyone about it. And they influence our customer who ends up, you know, coming to do this. Interesting. Wow. But talk to me a bit about your first time fundraising. So, I mean, when we, you know, kind of, we, we hit a, a special inflection point and we're like, okay, you know, clearly we've proved this out. Um, you know, this, this absolutely, um, there's absolutely a business here and a big business here. Um, so, you know, why not, take on some investments so that we can really start to accelerate growth. Um, So Q1 of 2019, um, we did a strategic angel round. Um, Target there was 800,000. We oversubscribed to 1.2. And, you know, really that was, uh, we were very intentional about who we brought into that round. Um, Wanted ideally mostly prior founders. And that's exactly what we did, both technology and consumer founders and entrepreneurs that have all had, you know, 250 million plus exits under their belt. And I just can't say enough amazing things about our our angels and our investors. They just are wind at our back and and have been so incredibly helpful opening doors and, you know, supporting us and, you know, just 
just everything. They're amazing. And then after that, we did a, um, we, we were on Shark Tank. Um, so we received an investment from Mark Cuban. Um, so that was super awesome and exciting. And then we also just completed a seed round right now in the midst of a pandemic. So that was pretty exciting as well. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And congrats on the first as well. Did you have a particular strategy for Shark Tank or like what also compelled you to apply? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we were uh, actually recruited on the show. So that was uh, kind of, yeah, cool experience. Thank you. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, you definitely want to go into Shark Tank with a strategy, I would say. Um, you know, I think it's not for everybody's business. Um, you know, you certainly are are not getting the best deal terms, <laughs> you know, that you would go get on the market. But uh I think, you know, it if it's if you are a company that, you know, benefits from or or you know needs to raise awareness, you know, in our case, a lot of people don't even know that this is something that you can do. Um, so this is a wonderful way to share and to educate. Um, we're also an incredibly word of mouth friendly business. On average, when somebody hears about us, they tell 20 other people um, about us. And there's 7 million people that watch Shark Tank. So, you know, seven times 20. Okay. Like, I feel like the math makes sense, you know, to, uh, to go do this and, um, you know, going into it, you, you know, I feel like if I am to advise anybody going onto it, you really want to know kind of what your parameters are of, you know, deals that you will and won't take, but, you know, optimizing to take a deal. Um, you know, there's, I can't conclusively say, you know, how they uh, end up deciding who airs, who doesn't, but about 25% of people that film don't air. Um, and so, you know, we believe your odds of airing, um, you know, go up if you take a deal. So it's, uh, it's important to kind of know your parameters and, you know, then just, uh, you know, do everything you, you can to, to share how special you know, of a company you've built, you know, and share that with the world. And we were, we were really fortunate. We actually got one of the top 5% valuations ever offered on Shark. So that was great. Amazing. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Wanted to, wanted to just kind of hear feedback in terms of what was the most, what were kind of your biggest skeptics? What were the most concerned from, from investors throughout the fundraising process? I would say, so probably to bubble up, you know, our, our price point is higher than, you know, I'd say like kind of the, the normal D to C play is, you know, a few like kind of 50 to to $100 price point, and it's all about volume, whereas we're at a higher price point. And so I think it's um, demonstrating to people that this is a massive opportunity and, um, you know, kind of like really walking them through the math on how you really don't need that many customers, you know, to build very quickly to hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So that was one. And, and the way that we ended up doing that, that was really effective was, you know, really kind of cr like creating a graph that's really about take rate. It's, you know, here's how many people are passing away in the United States every year. You know, here's how many say that they would do a diamond. Here's what our funeral home partners are forecasting as a sell through, you know, 2% of, of all deaths in the United States. Well, that's $500 million in addressable. And that's not including pets. That's not including international. That's not including urns that are sitting in family homes. So I think really kind of like breaking it down and walking them through the math, they can see that, holy cow, this is 2.5 billion dollars just with diamonds alone. So that was a big one. And then um, the other one is a lot of VCs have seen um, 
different plays in in the death care space that in and really haven't been a ton of kind of breakout stories. So I think, you know, you'll probably see that as a founder as you get kind of lumped in with other companies that have tackled an industry before and they haven't seen a breakout yet. So I think it's it was very important for us to kind of show how, you know, other folks were looking at like trust and will, you know, design tools and and we're, you know, very much focused on the person that's left behind after a loss, not planning ahead. Um, and when you think about that intensity of customer need, you know, somebody is coming to us as a way to honor somebody and to like help heal some like major pain that they're feeling, you know, and that's quite a bit different than somebody who you're trying to encourage, you know, to go and and write their will out when, you know, they're think they're invincible and they're not going to die. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of important to, to differentiate yourself, you know, in terms of what you're doing and and how it's meeting a real need for people. Right. No, I think that's, that's a lot of great points there. How do you think about true value add investors and non-value add investors? Well, I think the the number one non-negotiable is like they have to see the vision. They have to see the mission. Um, if they're not aligned with that, then, you know, it, it just is it's kind of a non-starter. That's right. Um, and our mission is to change a culture around death, grief, and remembrance. We plan to build the leading brand in death care that does that. Um, but if we lose sight a lot of our mission, you know, along the way, then, you know, I, I consider that a failure, even if we do have a massive exit. Um, and so, you know, really kind of starting out, many of our investors have experienced personal losses, you know, important big VCs that, you know, came to us and, you know, cried over, you know, a coffee saying like, hey, I lost you know, a boyfriend in a car accident, or, you know, I lost my parents very young, like, I get what you're doing. And this needs to exist in the world. And when you understand it at that level, you know, I think just everything that you know, you know, about building a business, is just going to be so tailored to what we're really driving at here. Um, so that was very important. And, you know, they don't need to have experienced a personal loss. But you know, it's it's that personal connection, you know, and then from there, it is somebody that is kind of um, realizing that there's no playbook for what we're doing. You know, there's a uh, there's nobody that's going to have the right experience necessarily, you know, to then apply to our business. So it's looking for investors that have built disruptive brands before that have redefined their categories that, you know, have kind of thrown out the playbook and done something completely different. Um, So, you know, that was really important. So I would say those are kind of the two biggest is that flexibility and in how you think about building a a totally new and disruptive um, company and that uh, personal connection and, and clear resonance with what we're building. If you don't sign on to the vision, then, you know, why are we even having the conversation, right? So it makes, that makes a lot of sense. Has it been harder fundraising since you're located in Austin, as opposed to say you're located in the Bay Area or New York? Yeah, not an issue at all, really. Um, you know, I yeah, I think a lot of coastal VCs are looking for um, you know, oper- they they're actually looking a lot in Austin and and trying to break into the Austin market because they know there's a lot happening down here. Um, we have a wonderful new VC uh, founder collective out of Boston that just joined us, and you know, they were saying they're finding kind of better and better deals or just companies being built um, down in the Midwest. So yeah, I think we're a great place to source. <laughs> That's great to hear. When you were first fundraising, were you reaching out cold or was there any strategy for reaching out cold or, or did you already have a bit of a network since you got your MBA in entrepreneurship? You might've met some investors through that network. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Well, and that's actually, you know, stumbled into it, I would say. It wasn't like hugely by design, but if I went back and, and redid our fundraising path, I would have done it all over again with starting with the strategic angel round. You know, and I worked in tech here in Austin uh, for about three and a half years. So I did get the opportunity to meet like a lot of um, technology executives and founders, you know, in the Austin ecosystem. Um, and having entrepreneurs and founders, um, you know, that have joined and, and become investors, they just become your biggest advocates. Um, I can't tell you, you know, two funds that actually just joined our most recent round. I think they had like three of our um, angel investors bringing us up at different board meetings, being like, you know who you really need to talk to? Eternova. They're crushing it. And like, <laughs> by the time they talk to us, they're like, okay, I've had four board meetings at this point or three board meetings where you guys have been brought up. So like, let's talk, you know? So yeah, I, I would say start with entrepreneurs and founders. They get it, you know? You didn't think about a strategy like maybe at the very, very beginning, but it it, it, it worked out that you obviously already had a bit of a network just working in tech and and, and just from your past experiences. So that's, that, that's really helpful. Talk to me a bit about growth. How are you thinking? You've just fundraised, which congratulations, especially in this environment. How are you thinking about growth today? Gosh, well, COVID, there's there's the COVID growth strategy, and then there's the normal growth strategy. Um, we can talk about COVID after. Yeah, I mean, for us, I think we have a, we have a very interesting acquisition model. Um, we're very diversified, channel diversified. Um, so we have the direct-to-consumer side of our business, and then we've got um, the channel side, the B2B2C side. And so we really started out, you know, building our entire company around the direct-to-consumer side and, you know, kind of establishing our credibility, you know, as as a company and a brand that was doing something totally different. And, you know, we needed to prove that out. We needed to get the PR that we did, you know, and, and really see that traction on social media and begin to build that tribe and that following um, in order to successfully launch in the channel and, and you know, convince folks that we should be trying something totally different. Um, so, you know, there's uh, the growth strategy on the direct-to-consumer side is really like community-focused. You know, a lot, our fastest-growing channels are organic and earned, and our absolute fastest is actually word-of-mouth, believe it or not. You know, we were like 9% of our customers were word-of-mouth beginning of last year, 15% by end of last year, and now is 20%. Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable. And, you know, we have an NPS of 88 with our customer base. You know, we know that they're telling 20 other people about us. So a lot of, you know, what we're doing is really kind of like designing a flywheel around that word of mouth, you know, channeling it in a way that kind of allows for people to be referring, kind of gifting this forward to somebody in need, you know, and bringing them into our community and, you know, our organic social media community. A lot of that is just about like, you know, uh, grief wellness and what is kind of an uplifting grieving experience look and feel like. So regardless of whether you decide to do the diamond or not, we're a community and a tribe that you want to be a part of. And it just so happens that is the best way to then convert somebody into the diamond experience because they want that full experience. But, you know, a lot of what we've designed is, is really around kind of accelerating that community driven play. Rothy's is a brand that did a community play really well, for example. So it's, it's, it is that tribe. We also do a lot of kind of on the partnership side. Um, now that being a major focus, there's a lot of different kind of distribution channels that we have from funeral homes to veterinarian offices um, to affiliate partnerships 
partnerships, you know, and, and those have all been performing exceptionally well. And, you know, again, this is an area that there's been next to no innovation. So any brand, you know, that has had some experience, you know, let's say like a, a major pet brand um, and they have a recurring subscription. Well, when that pet passes, you know, what is something really nice that you can offer the family, you know, that um, kind of acknowledges that. So in a lot of ways, we kind of are inserting ourselves to partner with all different brands across the spectrum and all different channels across the spectrum to be able to be that, you know, special memorial option that wasn't there before. Thanks for like outlining that in terms of how you're thinking about growth, especially from the DTC world. And then as well as the B2B to C, how has this kind of maybe shifted your focuses in this pandemic or changed how you think about growth currently? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely, I've, I've felt such a different um, kind of difference in conversation that we're having with VCs around kind of unit economics and profitability over top line revenue growth. We've had phenomenal top line revenue growth, you know, 130, 140% year over year, um, you know, but we've always been very focused on um, kind of profitable growth as well. LTV to CAC is our mantra. And we're just finding that that's true to be the case across, you know, every VC that we're talking to right now. So I feel like that was just a huge shift that really happened this year is, is that obsession with profit over top line. But, you know, from a business standpoint for us, gosh, our space is getting, you know, it has been so affected by this, as you can only imagine, um, you know, just with COVID happening right now, especially in areas that are really affected, um, many of our funeral home partners and our just our funeral home industry is being completely overrun. You know, the the volume of families that they're serving and the cases that they're seeing are, you know, two to three X what their home's actual capacity is. Yeah. And, you know, you're seeing this huge shift where people can't actually gather to have a funeral, you know, and they can't come into the funeral home to actually have the consultation. So these funeral homes are having to completely change their business model, you know, bring everything online at a time that they're experiencing, you know, more volume than they've ever seen, you know, and then these poor families are not able to see their loved one. They're not able to have a funeral. And so, you know, it's going to be a really difficult time, you know, for grief in the United States. So what we've really done as a company is we put a lot of time and focus on, you know, just serving our industry as best as we possibly can, you know, as millennial, um, a very kind of technology first millennial company, um, we knew we'd be able to add a lot of value to funeral homes, helping them digitize. So we actually are offering a free uh, um, digitizing service to take all their arrangements materials, they usually go over in person and, and quickly digitize it for them. Um, so that's been a huge lift. And we're currently doing a big fundraiser to raise funds and awareness for PPE for funeral homes, because a lot of people don't realize they're on the front line too, and they're getting no media attention whatsoever. So they're out of masks. And you know we've had partners literally shut down because their whole team is sick. Um, so they need our support just as much as doctors do. You know, and, and then we also accelerated the launch of our dedication pages which is a whole experience allowing you to share the diamond journey with friends and family over a digital medium. So it's sharing all those updates and like really kind of allowing for people to kind of share this online and on social media and, and have that fulcrum point, you know, at a time they can't physically get together, you know, well, at least there's a way for them to, to kind of come together over a digital medium and celebrate something. Well, I think that's, that's really simply terrific how you're helping, you know, funeral homes, especially during these tough times, because I'd imagine that part of the industry, the uh, funeral home industry is not digitized. That's great that you've been able to kind of give back. What are some of the strategies that you're implementing in order to get 
a pulse on your customer or, you know, being able to constantly monitor like customers' preferences and needs? By design, we are very much in touch with our customer. You know, every single month, our customer experience team is, you know, touching base with our customers, you know, um, kind of providing those updates, but building relationships too. You know, a lot of, we, we text with people, you know, over the course of the process, we follow them on social media, like they become friends, you know, and so that's kind of a, we have weekly um, ways for our customer experience team to be sharing with the rest of the company, you know, highlights about customers and homecomings when their diamond comes home and, you know, cool stories around that. So, you know, they keep a very close tab from an executive side. I actually, uh, Q4 of last year went on a customer feedback tour, and this is something I'm absolutely going to do every year going forward, Um, kind of comes from my product marketing days, but I, I spent 20 hours you know, literally on hour long phone calls with our customers saying, how was the experience? What more could we have done to blow your mind? You know, what, talk to me a little bit about your grieving journey. You know, what did that look like? Who showed up? Who didn't show up? You know, and kind of looking for every opportunity where, you know, we might be able to add value throughout that journey. You know, and I I just think that that's some of the best time you can possibly spend, you know, is, is really kind of on that front line hearing from your customer. I also have a customer advisory board. Um, I have a Facebook group of 15 customers. Um, you know, I share everything with them. I say, Hey guys, here's this crazy idea we have. What do you think? Beat it up, you know? And, and these people are just the most unbelievable folks. And so getting a customer point of view on everything, I think is just, you know, you can never spend enough time with your customers. They add value to everything. (laughs) I totally agree. And I love, I love that you create this like customer advisory board. I think that's, that's so uh, crucial and you know great just to kind of keep a pulse on your customers and 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 their needs and seeing how you can help them through the grieving process. So so we've talked about the early stages of you forming Eternova. We've talked about the present and COVID. I wanted to talk about the future and what are you thinking about the vision of Eternova for the next few years? Well, our vision is to become the leading celebration of life brand in the entire death care space. You know, so it's an ambitious vision to become the Zola of death care. You know, you come to Eternova and there's just every possible way to you know, honor your loved one in a really extraordinary way, you know, all kinds of different memorial options, different experiences, you know, grief journeys that you can go on, you know, content that can help support you through this time, um, gifts that you can gift somebody that, you know, is grieving. So, you know, there's just, I think, a tremendous need for all of that and and a wonderful opportunity for us to be, you know, the one that that go and, and um, completely kind of reinvent this, uh, this space in this category. So that's very much, you know, the future and the vision. And, you know, our goal is to serve more families um, in death care than any other company. That's awesome. What's one book that inspired you professionally and one book that inspired you personally? Professionally, probably the ones that I, I read over and over again. Tactically, it would be Never Split the Difference. Just such a brilliant book. Anytime you prepare for a negotiation of some kind. But I, I would say the one that really kind of resonated with me, um, you know, as a leader uh, was extreme ownership. I love that principle. I just think, you know, when you uh, start with what was my personal, you know, role in, in any outcome and how could I have done better? And, you know, how do I completely take ownership for um, outcomes and, and lead in that way? Um, you build an entire team around you that, you know, is, is built on that same extreme ownership mindset. And, you know, so not looking ever to cast blame, but always, you know, being the first to say, here's what I could have done differently. Um, and I, you know, we've really embraced that at Eternova and, and I just 
I'm so proud of my whole team, you know, when everybody exhibits that, we just become that much more powerful. And on a personal level, I would say it's probably Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Gosh, that guy is just a genius. You know, anytime uh, it, I, I would say he just, he, he's so smart about helping you kind of master your own internal experience and not let anything really have power over you. You know, if you're having kind of a a really difficult low um, in your business or the environment or, you know, whatever it is that got kind of thrown your way, I would recommend going for a walk and letting Eckhart give you a little pep talk. And, you know, he just will get you anchored in the present moment and kind of let everything else melt away. And and I think uh, he's been an incredible teacher to me over the years. Yeah, all three of those books sound terrific. Excited to add them to uh, my reading list as well as put them in the show notes. So my final question is, What's one piece of advice that you have for founders who are currently fundraising? It's, you know, when, when everybody tells you that it's a process and it can be a grind, like, you know, they're absolutely right. And I think, uh, you know, you learn so much through the process and you learn so much from, you know, um, objections that some VCs will have. And, you know, I think it's, it's always smart to be kind of, uh, listening and hearing patterns and trends because there's absolutely truth you know you'll learn a lot about like what things you need to work on but at the same time you also will hear a ton of conflicting um you know pieces of feedback so i think you you do take certain things with a grain of salt in saying you know somebody will see this thing one way and then somebody will see it the absolute opposite way and both will be convinced they're right so you know know that like kind of stay true to like what you know about your company um, you know, and, and just lead with confidence every single time. Um, so it's kind of that willingness to be open and, and know what you need to work on based on what you're learning and the feedback you're hearing, but also kind of staying resolute on what you know to be true. Um, and then again, I just can't emphasize enough getting really awesome kind of badass angels involved. Um, you know, it's just been a wonderful experience for us. And, you know, you get to a certain stage at like series A, series B, where, you know, your round's too big that they're not going to be investing at that size and scale. Um, so getting them in early, um, you know, I, I just think that they've been our biggest value add. So if you're raising um, a strategic angel round, a seed, something like that, go get some badass angels because, you know, they can be really helpful. I love that advice. Uh, I mean, especially because we focus a lot about, you know, institutional investment, but I love how you talk about how angels are really like the lifeblood um, in a lot of way to, to entrepreneurship. And so just highlighting that as well. And I think, and I love your advice as well about really being true to yourself. I mean, of course, in when, when it comes to fundraising, you get so many rejections and so many, and it's, you know, a very frustrating process. I can only imagine. Uh, so Adele, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> And there you have it. It was such a pleasure having Adele on, and I really appreciate her taking the time and sharing her remarkable story and thoughts around the end of life space. If you'd like to follow Adele on Twitter, you can at Adele Archer. The link will also be in the show notes as well as a turn of his website if you'd like to learn more. If you're enjoying the show, if you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as that helps other folks find it, that would simply be terrific. If you're a founder and working on something innovative, have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.